0: your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. As we round out August and I guess summer, return to school, we have spent the last week really having the kids revisit their adventure list from the summer because it's kind of in that mode where I'm done being creative. I don't really have the energy to come up with new things. I mean, I'm going to feed them. That's my goal for each day. And at the same time, we also are curious, like what else is on your list? What haven't we done in all the things that we've done this summer? And it's been a good spark for finding simple adventures that I don't necessarily have to think about or to plan so much. We've been pretty successful, actually, at finding new different yet simple and attainable adventures the last couple of weeks. And I would say one of those was thanks to my daughter. She had put on her list a long time ago to do an art weaving with, gosh, pipe cleaners or something. I don't even remember. Some art project. My little monster organized a water balloon stomp where he filled the trampoline with water balloons and... uh yeah, they just put on their swimsuits and jumped around on the trampoline and water was bursting everywhere. That was, that's pretty entertaining. And again, the the hardest part was filling the water balloons. But I, I know there's actually a couple things, you know, we want to see a night sky program yet and potentially visit, there's a venom extraction at this place. And a, a, it's a local attraction near us that we've never done. And it just sounds interesting. My one son is really into snakes and anything to do with animals. So thought that might be kind of a fun way to round out summer. But what I love about all of these is that these are designed by kids, and they've really led to some fun family connection experiences. So I thought I'd kind of use these simple adventures as a theme for our show today. I think there's a point in life when I've noticed, at least in my own life, and and sometimes I notice it in others, is that their comfort zone just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're less comfortable with things that are different from them. Quite a bit of research around social conditioning. And there's a lot of different things. You know, if we think about how kids develop, there's a certain age, especially in child development, when we develop our egos, where we learn more about self, we have more self awareness, we start to care about what other people think. So there's things such as the herd mentality. A lot of other people are doing it. We feel this pressure to kind of join, conform, and participate in things. There are different systems at play in our society. It's not like one person is telling you to do this. Not one thing, right? It's a series of these social conditioning cues that we get. And sometimes they're overt and sometimes they're very subliminal. But in this herd mentality, you know, we might see... Okay, a practical example might be the new corn song on TikTok, (laughs) and I didn't know about it. You know, once you hear about it, then you notice it more because it's now in your zone of awareness, so you see it more frequently, and then you realize like, oh, maybe maybe I should make a reel about corn. No, I don't really feel the need to do that, but that's how herd mentality works, right? We see things over and over again, so it reinforces behaviors or cues in our life that we may or may not have thought about before. Another example is the research of Pavlov's dog, right? So if you ring a bell, you get a response. After you do this so many times, it's repetition. These things are reinforced. It's social conditioning. It's it's behavior generation. It's how we develop habits. It's And sometimes those are bad habits, but it's how we kind of conform to things that we may or may not have thought of. Anyway, all that to say, these things really start to take shape around age 10. I have a bunch of examples actually in my book about what this looks like. For example, I was a middle school teacher. We would talk starting in sixth grade, and that's about when, you know, fifth, sixth grade is about the age of 10, about like the educational pathways and the tracks kids needed to be on in sixth and seventh and eighth grade so that they could be groomed essentially for their careers. Now, looking back, I'm like, that is insane. Or, Sports is another good example. You know, you really have to specialize and there's travel ball and all these things starting younger and younger. There's this kind of conditioning that if you want to be this in high school, you need to do these things earlier. We also begin to see that there are certain things we tame in ourselves, you know, aspects of being a child that in our personalities, in the way we're taught to conform to societal norms, we see... Kids lose some of that vivacious energy of their early years and care more and more about what other people think about them. I think one of the most magical things about being around young kids, my grandma always said, I love being around kids because it helps me feel young again. It helps me feel in touch with what really matters in the world. And I find that really to be a good grounding practice. Like, what are kids curious about? There's a sense of wonder, there's a sense like they can do anything. They can be anything. They can have anything. Like there's no concept of what is appropriate. They might have some social constructs to say, you know, understanding how to share or how to use manners or things of that nature. But again, those were all modeled for them. These aren't necessarily natural instincts. And if you think about, you know, if you were to personally think about what was your life like when you were seven, it's usually around second grade. Okay, so maybe any time before 10, try to think about your own personal life. If you want to pause this, just like seriously sit down and write some things down. What do you remember about being seven? What did you admire about that person? What kinds of experiences do you remember that brought the most joy to your life? Do you have some fun family memories or anything unique, maybe a project or an experience or a friendship And do you remember when you started to care about what people thought about you? I I kind of have a couple of moments about, it was usually around like what I was dressed like or how my hair looked or things I became more self-conscious about, wearing glasses or having braces. Some of those are maybe more trivial, but at the same time, I remember that moment of like caring what other people thought. I want to now like fast forward, think about your life today. What's a normal life like for you? How much of your life today exudes the same joy, excitement, and wonder that your seven-year-old self did? I think there's a piece in this conditioning that we start to lose, and it has to do with stability and safety. And it's easy to mask a lot of things in life and a lot of opportunities under those umbrellas. And so I just, I want you to think about, you know, I'm just going to bring you back now to age seven. My youngest just turned seven in August. And he and I were communicating. Uh, My brother and his wife were talking about, you know, could we do a special day with him? What might that look like? And we were brainstorming back and forth. And I was talking with my son. You know, what would you like to do? And no lie, this was his list. I want to go fishing. I'm going to go swim in their pool. I want to get ice cream. And I want to sleep over for three days. Because three days is a really long time when you're seven. (laughs) Any kind of sleepover is a really long time when you're seven. It was kind of funny because at the same time, so that was, you know, my seven-year-old's birthday, and at the same time, earlier this year, my daughter turned 10, and I didn't really, like, put a lot of thought into it, but a few days I was like, you know, we should do a friend's birthday party. We haven't done one in the last couple of years. Let's just kind of put something together. We text a couple of friends and quick pulled some craft project out, you know, just random stuff I had in my craft room. The girls had a pillow fight kind of randomly unplanned. They watched Harry Potter. I ordered Little Caesar's pizza for $10. And as we're sitting around like just communicating and I'm listening to them laugh and just be these fun, vivacious little girls, I heard one of them say like this is the best birthday party I've ever been to. And I'm and, and I'm kind of chuckling on the inside because I'm also remembering a time when I was scouring Pinterest when I was stressing over what the birthday party theme was going to be. And feeling this pressure to decorate my child's own cake and have invitations and some elaborate gift, like a big gift, you know, that they would remember their birthday by and likely spend a ton of money doing some activity or taking their friends to this place. It's just so funny because in my head, that's what a successful birthday party meant. It meant doing all these things and checking all these boxes and I realized that was something that was conditioned, that I was connecting those expectations to being a cool mom or a way to make your child feel special for their birthday. And by the way, P.S., if you like any of those things, that's fine. If that brings you joy, I'm not suggesting to stop it. I just want you to be really clear around what are the metrics for joy in your life? And are they yours or are they someone else's definition of what they th- that you think joy should look like or success might look like? My version of joy and birthday success was hearing four girls laugh so hard that I couldn't help but not laugh with them or smile. You know, there's just this listening to girls giggle and laugh. It really made my heart smile. And I think that was my version of, you know, birthday party success, I guess. I know we all have experienced some external force, you know, to fall in line, to avoid the risk of, you know, I guess I remember believing that if I had a perfectly curated life plan, I would be saved from struggle. And I can kind of tell you, I I created that plan. I followed the plan and the plan lied. It didn't save me from struggle or hardship, but rather my willingness to experience those struggles was diminished. And yet that In that little struggle moment, you know, those struggle muscles are really good for a reason. They help you grow. I don't think many seven-year-olds are afraid to screw up. I think they're just excited to try. I'm currently reading the book, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World by Steve Rinella. And there's this scene in the book where he's talking about the fish shack. He takes his youngest child or his oldest child. I don't remember exactly. But he's just observing his child turning over the rocks at the bay. And I have spent many hours at beaches with really no intent to swim. It was all about, you know, the exploration and finding this space to just, you know, kill some time, really. There was a time in West Seattle, and it wasn't a swimming beach. It was kind of cold and gloomy, and we spent hours turning over rocks looking for crabs each rock was an entirely new door of possibility. Some rocks were slimy, some had interesting textures, some had looked like they'd gone through this rock tumbler because they were in the water so long and smooth, some had crabs under them, some didn't, you know, it was all this new exciting thing. And I also remember as a child, the first time I ever went to California, I was in fourth grade, so roughly 10 years old, and we had spent hours on the coves of La Jolla, just again exploring the sea urchins and the tide pools and the waves that would come up and the tide that would come in and out and how it much it changed it was just it's really fascinating and i think when we're kids we don't even notice that that's not normal or we we don't realize that people are just kind of rushing by living life taking all these little things for granted in episode 87 how to quit a job you love I share, you know, that our family has given notice and we're embarking on a family gap year in 2023. And to many, that's a door that we don't often even realize is an option. Yeah, we have a plan, but I don't think it's the plan that got us here. I think it was being willing to imagine our life as a seven-year-old, to listen to our kids when they shared little fun facts or dreams or simple adventures that would be meaningful. As we've tested some of these simple things over and over, we've realized that we could make it work. And I'm convinced that what got us here has been that foundational practice of simple family adventures. It's less about how much money we have or the careers that we have or our savings rate or how well we hack travel. It has more to do with these little things that our kids wanna experience and how we can build connections and find creative ways to make that happen. Turning over each rock with that sense of wonder. So I'm going to challenge you this week. I want you to really think about what were you like as a seven-year-old and who is that seven-year-old today? Is it someone that still exists? Do you have any desire to go back to being a seven-year-old? Do you have a seven-year-old in your life that you can look at and just think about empathetically? Like, what are they feeling today? What are they worried about? What are the things that really interest them, that ignite them, that excite them? And I think it could be a good lesson. I hope you found value from the show. I hope you can find a simple adventure. And in fact, if you need simple adventures, I have a, and I've had this all along, but I try to change it up every once in a while. It's like 20, it's 50 some cards, I think, of simple family adventures that you can do. So if you go to ordinarySherpa.com backslash free, you can download a list, like I said, about 50 different simple family adventures to get you started. I can't wait to hear about what are the things that you do as a seven-year-old. And we'll look forward to connecting again next week. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us.